I think we have a tendency to to kind of build and do things with with um, always thinking about how others would view them. Um, so it's like, what what job should I choose that's going to sound the most impressive, or what company should I work at that's going to you know turn the most heads when I introduce myself in the room, or from a founder's perspective, like what business should I build that's going to get venture funding or what, what are VCs interested in? And then they try to go build that. I don't think that's the right approach. Hey everybody, this is Amber Key and you're listening to a Bright Idea podcast, a show that sits down with entrepreneurs to hear about the aha moment that launched their businesses. On today's episode, we're joined by Tori Orr, an investor at Vera Equity. Tori specializes in early-stage enterprise software and AI startups. She earned her MBA from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania, majoring in entrepreneurship and innovation. During her time at Wharton, Tori was awarded the inaugural Hetty Simmons Love Fellowship and the Edward B. Schill's Leonard L. Zedman Fellowship in Entrepreneurship. She also held key positions as managing partner of the Dorm Room Fund and VC Fellow at Harlem Capital. She previously worked at Tesla, Intel, BCG Digital Ventures, and Goldman Sachs in roles that span engineering, product management, venture building, and investment management. She's also a proud HBCU graduate of Spelman College and the University of Michigan, where she earned dual degrees in mathematics and mechanical engineering. Above all, she's deeply passionate about creating opportunities for minorities in entrepreneurship and tech. While this show focuses on the stories of small businesses and startup entrepreneurs, today we're switching it up to discuss a common challenge among many business owners, funding. In this episode, Tori will dive into what venture capitals are, if venture funding is necessary for all businesses, and the steps and approaches you can take to raise venture funding for your business. I'm super excited to be here. Um, So really appreciate the invitation. Um, And so my background into venture is a bit untraditional. Um, So I started off as a mechanical engineer working in tech. Um, I didn't know what venture capital was. I'm, you know, like first gen, um, come from, you know, very humble beginnings. So venture capital was in a career we talked about growing up. Um, And so I started off in tech And for undergrad, I went to Spelman, which is an HBCU, and they had this program, um, this dual degree engineering program. So I also went to Michigan. Um, So I studied engineering at Michigan and kind of went into tech. It was popular amongst, you know, my classmates. And while there, I always felt kind of like I didn't understand the money side of things. I didn't understand why certain decisions were being made and like how, um, what was influencing some some of the decisions behind what we were building. Um, so I started developing an interest to learn more about the finance side. Um, but it wasn't until I started to pursue going to business school that I actually found out what venture was. Um, and it was actually through a program called HBCU VC. And so HBCU VC um, is an organization that aims to get more minorities into venture capital. Um, So I did their program and, you know, they introduced me to venture. We did this training. Um, 
And I was actually able to do an internship in VC the summer before business school. Um, so that's how I kind of stumbled upon venture. So like I said, super untraditional, like don't have a finance background. Um, I came from the tech side of things. So that's how I got into venture. And then I think your second question was, what is venture capital, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if I could put it in the most simplest terms, um, venture capital is funding. So it's, it's money, um, but it's not free money. So it's not like grants that you receive or not even like a loan that you would receive. So this money comes in exchange for equity which means venture capitalists are gonna give founders money and in return, they want a stake of ownership in your company. Um, and, and the goal behind it is that they give you this money, it's gonna help you scale and grow. And in return, you know, as you advance and hit certain milestones and raise more money and eventually either, you know, have a IPO, which means, you know, going public on the stock market or you're acquired for a large amount, their equity will be worth something. So they'll make a return on their investment. So that's what venture capital is. And, and hopefully, I, I hope simple terms. No, that was that was really simple. And I thank you for the explanation. Why do you think venture capital is so important? Yeah, so I think venture capital is so important and why it's such a buzzword is because if you look at the companies that make up like the NASDAQ or, you know, like all the top tech companies, I think a, a large percentage of them started off with venture funding. So, um, and I don't know the exact research, but I know there is research out there that just shows that venture funding and these companies really like scaled their growth. Um, so when you think of, you know, the largest companies, um, how they got started was through venture money. Um, and so it just, it's it almost allows it to have a different scale of growth as if you, you know, as opposed to someone who's bootstrapping, which means they're paying for everything themselves, or maybe they're taking in grants, um, or maybe they're, you know, taking loans from the bank. Um, they're not able to move at a pace that you would if you had this large influx of venture capital. What when we think about investing and people who are investing in, in companies to help scale their growth, there's two um, things that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about venture funding and I'm also thinking about angel investing. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of differentiate the two for us? Yeah, um, so angel investing is similar. Um, it just means, so an angel is usually a high net worth individual someone who has a lot of liquid cash um, and they're looking to invest early in startups. So they typically invest sometimes before the venture capital finds the company. Um, so there are certain rounds. Sometimes um, they come in in the friends and family round, um, which usually happens before companies raise institutional money. Um, or they could invest alongside a VC like smaller VCs um, in their pre-seed round or seed round. And the only difference is the angel investor is just an individual. So, so you can kind of think as the angel investor as its own VC fund. Um, it's like your personal VC fund. And their terms are a bit different, but it's the same concept. They're investing. They have so much ownership in the company, usually significantly smaller 
because their checks, the check that they're investing is much smaller than a VC would typically. Um, but it's essentially the same concept. Um, they're just probably more angel investors, depending on, I guess, what circles you run into. Um, but yeah, it's, you wouldn't have to, there are different processes. So you might not have to like present or pitch a team because it's just one person. Um, so the process might be simpler. Um, you, you know, the diligence, which just means like going over and seeing, you know, is this a viable business? What types of questions should we ask? Like that might be shorter. Um, so the processes are different, but the concept's the same. The money's just coming from one person as, as opposed to a firm. And you're saying the criteria is different as well. Do you think that it would be easier to go through an angel investor rather than um, a venture firm? I don't know if I would say easier. Uh, my gut says yes, but I don't want to say like, you know, um, for I don't want it to be for everyone because you might find some angel who's super successful and their process is probably um, a bit more difficult than maybe like a a super angel VC fund. Um, so I don't, I don't want to speak in that general, but I think, um, just because the angel is, is an individual, they can't scale the way a VC fund can. Um, so they're not going to have analysts like running diligence or associates kind of like running, um, the running point on the deal and they're doing it all themselves so I think it just depends on how much that individual can handle but I do think they're a perfect place to start because usually they'll have connections to other angels or other VC funds that can help you raise more money um, so if you are fortunate to know angel investors I think that would be a great place to start um, so most people start at angels before going to VC funds Can you like take us through that process? Like once you create this partnership with a business and they're now like investing in the company, what sort of, I guess, what do you have to uphold in order to maintain that relationship? Yeah, I totally get what you're asking. Um, and it's interesting because it depends on the stage. So as I mentioned earlier, there's the friends and family round, which is kind of exactly what it sounds like you're at you're going and you're asking your aunties uncles cousins anyone who can help you out to you know give you some money and then also angel investors and then there's what's called pre-seed um and their pre-seed is becoming more popular over the years um and that's essentially you know most most um vcs offer like a safe which is um a simple or what's like simple agreement for future equity, I think is what it stands for. I should know that. Um, and essentially that just means before they go out and raise a price round with a, you know, larger institutional fund, um, this person's, this fund is taking a bet on them and they're going to invest even earlier, sometimes pre-product, pre-revenue. Um, and then you have your seed round, um, series A, and it can keep going, series B, series you know, C, D, it can keep going. And so how it's usually split is um, early stage VC versus late stage or growth stage. And so the process and the requirements are different at each stage. Um, I invest in the early stage. So typically the process looks like, depending on where the product is, if it's pre-product, pre-revenue, that's even different than if they 
already have a product and they're generating like a little revenue through, you know, like early design partners. So it really does um, differ. But from what I do, it essentially, you know, you, the founder has maybe like a coffee chat or quick meeting with someone on the team. It's usually me as the first person. Um, And then if our call goes well, and um, I'm interested in kind of continuing the conversation, they'll set up a call with one of the partners on the team. Um, And assuming that call goes well, we kind of discuss it internally and we decide to move to memo. So an investment memo is um, a long kind of analysis that determines or examines, you know, the merits or risks of, of an investment opportunity. So in that investment memo, and that's typically put together by the analyst or the associate. Um, and so through that memo, they're looking at, you know, what is the pro- what's the problem? What's the solution? Um, the competitive landscape, how this is differentiated. Um, what's the market opportunity? They might do a market sizing analysis. Um, they're looking at basically the business model and how that can grow and and stuff like that. So they're kind of going through each piece of the business, the traction they've had so far, um, you know, the team that that they've built, um, the strength of that team. And essentially the entire VC fund will review that memo and kind of have what's called an investment committee meeting where they decide if they want to invest or not. And it's typically done on a vote. Um, so that's how we do it. And I think typically that's how early stage does it. Once you make it beyond series A, like into more of the growth later stage VC, it's different because then um, it's assumed that you have more revenue. Um, so they're able to do a bit more, um, you know, like calculations and analysis to look at the revenue and, and other metrics like unit economics. Um, so it, it gets a little bit more technical then because they're, mm-hmm assuming you've already found product market fit so they're not really looking at like the strength of the team and the founder and like what the opportunity could be they're more so looking at like okay what have they done so far and like how can our money help them just take this to the next level um so the approaches are a bit different depending on the stage but that's in general like what happens how long would you say those each stage takes because if I'm thinking, I, I was listening to you talk and I was just wondering, like we hear a lot about like, like AI is a big thing right now and all these companies that are really focused on in, in the tech space. And like, how do you guys ensure that the, these companies aren't growing too fast or we're not, you're not investing too much. And then, you know, six months later, there's a flop with the company. Like, I guess, how, how are you guys managing those expectations? Oh, Amber, I don't know if they are. <laughs> does that does that happen was that is that like yeah, a real yeah. Thing? that happens right because when you think about web3 and I was never a web3 enthusiast I kind of was very I don't know if skeptical is the right word like I think web3 needs to happen I just think a lot of people hopped on board before they had real um kind of use cases um and and needed some more investments in like the infrastructure and just changing the attitudes of of the end users so like web3 was exactly what you you just kind of you know hinted towards a lot of vcs and it's called like hype investing i think is what they call it so it's like a lot of vcs can hear like the latest buzzword and hop on board and just 
invest money in these hot topics without really doing any diligence or kind of critical thinking about um, honestly the fundamentals. Um, so you can kind of get lost in this. I think the difference with AI, AI is also pretty hype and like a buzzword right now. And even my firm invests in AI. So we're, we're part of the problem probably. Um, but I think the difference between something like Web3 and AI is AI has a clear use case. Um, some of these, and that's that's the name of the game with venture. Like some of these things aren't going to work out. Um, 90% of startups fail. So I think you're going into it with the assumption that most of these things won't work. We're just looking for the one that does because usually when you have one big win, it covers all of your failures. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think, you know, one, the assumption is that most of these are going to fail you hope they don't, but <laughs> you're kind of like, you're going into it with that expectation. And then the other is just kind of um, how firms prevent that. So there are some firms who are what's called investment thesis driven or research driven. And those firms don't, or typically don't invest on like hype cycles. So they do research on a certain area or areas and they form an opinion and um, they only, so then after they have this opinion, they go out and look for startups that match their thesis. Mm -hmm. And so that once they find them, they already know this is something I want to invest in. Um, so that's, I think that's one way to uh, combat what you were referring to is, you know, this thing could go <laughs> you know, like to pieces overnight. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one way to um, prevent that. The only downs, and you know, there's always like negatives and positives to everything, pros and cons. Um, the downside of that is you lose out on a lot of opportunities um, if you're not investing opportunistically. Um, so there's pros and cons to each approach, being a generalist versus specialist. Um, but I think the most important thing is just if you form your own kind of thoughts into your own analysis, hopefully that would prevent you just investing on hype. Like going back to the fundamentals, like, is there a problem or is this like a solution looking for a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. I agree with you that VCs are, is sort of a buzzword right now. And I think part of it is it, it it's hit mainstream especially with like shows like Shark Tank and things that everyone's like oh my god this is like this is the next best thing I have a business I can go on here I could get venture funding but I don't think that every and you could tell me differently is every business qualified or needs venture funding definitely not okay thanks <laughs> Yeah, that that's that was the easiest question you asked me. Uh, <laughs> I don't think, actually, I think most companies don't need VC money. It's definitely a buzzword. I think it also is starting to become a status symbol. Okay. Um, you start to see on LinkedIn, most folks will put, um, ran a VC-backed company or worked at a VC-backed company. So I guess that means something. Um but yeah, most businesses aren't venture backable businesses or don't need venture money. It might not be the best asset class for that specific business. Um, but unfortunately, like I said, it, it kind of means something. So um, yeah, and I, I wish I could give you examples, but I, I don't want to make a fool of myself on camera because you can say something like, oh, uh, this food business doesn't need venture money. And then there's some example of one that blows up 
you know? Yeah. So no, no, that's totally fair. I guess what would be helpful though, is like what kind of businesses are VCs looking for right now? Okay. Okay, yeah, that I can answer. Um, so usually technology enabled companies, um, you know, and that's pretty broad. So it, it could be across sectors like healthcare, um, it can be consumer, it can be enterprise, which my firm invests in. Um, it could be fintech. Um, so it's across, you know, many different, I guess, segments. Um, but the base of it is usually that um technology enabled they're looking for things that can scale um the idea is they want it to become a unicorn right so that means you know worth a billion dollars uh, or a billion dollar valuation or more um ideally so most businesses you know don't make it to be that they become maybe like a hundred million dollar business or three hundred dollar million business which is great <laughs> for a lot of people it's just not on the venture scale good um so that's a, another way to kind of think about like is this a vc backable company or not um yeah i would say that's what they're looking for what can you tell us like the difference between a small business and a startup yeah um uh, yeah it's a it's kind of a nuanced thing so a, sm a small business i think and and this is just my personal opinion i don't know if this is like the dictionary um how i would think about a small business is they tend to uh, want to stay small. Um, so think about your local mom and pops, like coffee shop, or maybe a bookstore, um, you know, maybe like some type of like soap place or, you know, these like kind of crafty um, or maybe like family owned, family ran businesses. That's what I think of when I think small business, maybe like a tax preparer, independent tax preparer, something that's small and tends to say relatively small and usually you know ran by like a family maybe whereas a startup from day zero always has plans of getting big and like turning into this huge thing so I think if I had to say what I think the differences are is just kind of like the scale small business is small and it tends to say small whereas a startup is literally just starting up to become bigger and aims to be like, you know, this huge Amazon or Apple, um, you know, Microsoft, some like large company. That's awesome. What uh, would you say are some common misconceptions about venture capital? <laughs> I don't know if they're misconceptions, but I think um, maybe some like assumptions that aren't always true, but of course there's always like some truth and stereotypes is that they're not helpful. Um, you know, they kind of get a bad rep of just like wanting to take all the ownership in your, in your company and they they don't really help out. There are VCs out there who really do care about helping and you just have to be really selective about who you choose to partner with. Um, so that's one. Um, and I think also just depending upon the stage, um, another misconception might be, um, that they don't really care about what you're building or like, this is just another opportunity. They see thousands of pitches. I think in general, VCs really do care and they want to help, but unfortunately they have, a um, a fiduciary duty to return the money to their LPs. LPs are limited partners. So they're not investing their own money. They're investing money that they borrowed from someone else. So it's mm -hmm. like a chain of, of investing. 
um, LPs are investing in VCs and the VCs are investing in entrepreneurs. So they simply can't say yes to everyone. They say no um, much more frequently than they say yes. And I think that kind of comes across as a bit cold. Um, but when you kind of understand that that change that I just explained, like it, it, that's the way it is. That's why it's like that. Now, I know that VCs obviously want to invest in companies that have like a great idea or know that it's going to turn and it's a scalable business. But are they also looking at the company's bottom line, like how much that company already has in their bank account? It depends on the stage. So at pre-seed, it's not typically assumed that they have a bottom line. If they do, that's amazing. Um, but that's not that's not typical. Now, as you get further out, like I said, um, maybe seed, series A, series B for sure, like that's when it's expected that you have revenue and they're looking very closely at your financial statements and seeing like what's your burn rate, which means like how much cash are you spending um, and how are you spending it? So all those metrics become extremely important in the later stage. But like I said, early stage is more so just trying to figure out if you've got a real solution here to a real problem and people want it. So can you tell our listeners how they should go about raising capital if they are interested in venture funding? Yeah. Um, so first, if you're interested in venture funding, and this is assuming you've, <clears throat> excuse me, exhausted all of your options to get free money first. So <laughs> look for grants, you know, things that you call for pitch competitions, anything that doesn't require you giving up ownership in your company. I think you should exhaust all of those options first before going after venture funding. Um, but assuming you've done all that and you are ready for venture funding, I would first make a list of VCs um, that maybe you have a common connection with someone on LinkedIn that you can get a warm referral. Uh, a lot of this business is through warm introductions. It's a who you know business, unfortunately, um, which tends to put you know founders like of color at a disadvantage. But that's a place to start. You always want a warm intro. And if you don't have a warm intro, I would make a list of VCs. You can Google this. There are tons of lists. And look for VCs who specialize in what you're building. So if you're building an AI solution, Google you know, a list of VCs who specialize in AI. Um, or if you're a minority founder, um, meaning Black, Latino, or woman, um, look up, you know, VC funds who invest exclusively in, in, you know, in you. And, and so that's where I would start. And from there, it usually expands because they can refer you, even if it's not a good fit for their firm, they'll pass what's called deal flow. They'll pass that to another firm who it might be a better fit for. And then before you know it, you know, your list started as 10 firms and now it's grown to like 50 um, so yeah, ideally get started with the free money. Like I said, grants, pitch competitions, stuff like that, accelerators. Um, and then, you know, look and see who you have in your network. Maybe they're one person removed, um, ask for a warm intro. And then after that, look at firms that are, you know, similar to what you're building or your demographics, et cetera. There are firms that invest in only like certain states. Um, so I know <clears throat> specifically with black founders, they're trying to rebuild Tulsa, 
Oklahoma. Um, you know, we had the Black Wall Street there before the massacre. And so there are some firms who want you to like relocate to Tulsa. And so, yeah, it, it might be like location-based, um, you know, maybe it's like for folks who are in DC or they only invest in the Southeast. So just look up, you know, everything that pertains to you as a founder and target those people first. And then hopefully from there, your list will expand as you ask, you know, you can also give VCs permission to share your deck or, you know, share, share what you're building with other VCs who might be interested. I like that you're mentioning black and brown founders um, because we haven't spoken about that in this episode, but I really do think that um, not only are VCs a buzzword, as we've mentioned several times, but um, we are seeing um, more access for black and brown business owners to be able to, to receive funding from venture capitals, which I is I think is great. But I also have some statistics that I want to mention here. Uh, and I'm just gonna read it off. But according to the McKinsey, to McKinsey and Company in 2022, black and Latino founders received just 1% of venture funds dispersed across the US. And 0.1% of all of the funding last year went to only, let me just reiterate that only 0.1% um, of all funding last year went to female founders who are Black and Latina. But at the same time, women of color are starting businesses at a rate that far outpaces any other demographic. And I bring that up to mention that in addition to that, right now, Edward Bloom, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with, he's a conservative activist who brought down the affirmative action. Um, he filed a lawsuit against the Fearless Fund, which is a venture capital firm that backs startups led by Black women. And I just want to know, like, while we're talking about um, how Black and Brown businesses can go out, or Black and Brown businesses and startups can go out and look for venture funding, like, how, when we have sort of this attack happening right now, um, how can we protect ourselves and one another? And I'm not sure if you have the answer to that, but I just want to know if that's something you guys are thinking about. Yeah, um, it's definitely a loaded question and I'm very familiar with what's going on. It's it's really hard not to, you know, because everyone's nervous. No one knows what the future holds. Um, I will say though, for that lawsuit, it wasn't suing the Fearless Fund for investing in, you know, black or women of colors, I think their thesis, it was for a very specific grant program um, that they offer. So they were suing for that grant program, I think. Um, so it wasn't, it was an attack on the VC fund as a whole. Um, but it was just that grant, specific grant program that they were offering. Um, and so it it is frightening, because you're, you're, you know, for anyone following what's happening, like we know this is just, these are just looking for something to stick, right? Like they have bigger plans to undo a lot of progress. So that's frightening because you don't know what the future holds. But I would say for coming, so I think it's scary from the VC's perspective because, you know, folks or VCs that really do care. So I think from a VC perspective, it's, scary because if your whole firm is based on, you know, closing that gap and investing in diverse founders, you're kind of wondering, like, can I continue to do this? Um, from a founder's perspective, I don't think they should be worried because um, the money will always be there. So even though these other VC firms 
don't exclusively invest in minority founders, they still can invest. So it's more so like getting access to them and, and, um, you know, getting that, like, that's a different battle, you know, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, like speaking on the most basic terms, like the funding is available, whether it's accessible, that's a different conversation, but it is available. So as a founder, I wouldn't be afraid. I think and VC investors who specifically invest in minorities, like that's the whole um, thesis behind their fund. I think that is where it gets a little bit scary because who knows, like you, we don't know if these things will, I hope they will exist in a few years. Um, so, but from a founder's perspective, I don't think they should be afraid. I think, you know, if you build a business that's is good and you're, you know, very promising and you've got customers and you're going to blow up, like, at that point, everyone's gonna want to invest. They don't care <laughs> what race you are. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I know it's a little bit toxic, and and something we've all been told since kids is like you have to work twice as hard to get half as much. Um, I mean, I it's it's sad, but sometimes it's true. So it's like you build a business good enough, like they're all gonna want you. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be afraid of that from a founder's perspective, but definitely like VCs who want to create a VC fund one day that, you know, invests in minorities. Like, I think that's kind of up in the air, possibly. That's the scary part. I wanted to give you um, the mic once again, just to, if you have any last words or any advice or anything we haven't touched now that you think our listeners would like to hear. Yeah. I think, and this is some advice I've been working through myself. I just, like I mentioned, graduated from Wharton with my MBA. And as I was picking my career, um, I think we have a tendency to to kind of build and do things with with um, always thinking about how others would view them. Um, so it's like, what what job should I choose that's going to sound the most impressive? Or what company should I work at that's going to, you know, turn the most heads when I introduce myself in a room or from a founder's perspective, like what business should I build that's going to get venture funding or what, what are VCs interested in? And then they try to go build that. I don't think that's the right approach. Um, I think following doing, building a business should come out of a need. Like you, you're solving a need. You've discovered a problem you want to solve it, or you have some innovation, you know, and ideally, hopefully you're passionate about it because, and if not passionate, at least like just extremely driven to build it. Cause I think, you know, once you get told no so many times, like you need something deeper than just wanting to do something because it sounds cool to keep you like dedicated and driven on those like stormy or cold days when you've gotten like a hundred no's from VCs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, So I'm not necessarily saying like chase your passion because any, you know, anyone who's been to business school will tell you like that's bad advice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what they tell us in all of our classes. Like that's bad advice. So I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm just saying have a reason other than like what other people think to be your reason for pursuing and like keeping up with something like make that reason something real and something personal, personal to you. So even if it isn't passion, like maybe you just are extremely driven to solve cancer, cure cancer or make people like us 
me, you know, use chat GPT in a easier way, like whatever the problem and solution is, like, yeah, you need a deep kind of um, drive to, to stick with it through the hard times. That's not superficial. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Amber. This was awesome. Thank you, Tori. That's it for this week's episode of A Bright Idea. Tune in each week as we interview entrepreneurs to find out their aha moments that launched their businesses. Today's episode featured Tori Orr with Vera Equity. If you would like to know more about venture funding or anything we did not touch on today, Tori can be reached via LinkedIn. Her name is spelled T-O-R-I and last name Orr, O-R-R. We hope that you enjoyed this little bit of education and that it encourages you to find the funding you need to grow your business. Tune in next week for another episode of A Bright Idea featuring a new entrepreneur. Until next time, I'm Amber Key.